0: Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part three of his series, Victory in the Midst of Seeming Defeat. All right, today, Victory in the Midst of Seeming Defeat, part three. Amen. We started this series on the last Sunday in February, and my intention was to fill the bulk of March with stories from the Bible and personal testimonies that bring light to the concept of achieving victory in the midst of seeming defeat. Amen. So, just so you know where we're headed with this, I'll be wrapping it up next Sunday as we head towards Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And I got some things for you on those two Sundays that I think you'll enjoy. Palm Sunday and Daniel's 70 weeks. What is the connection? And something called slaying Easter's sacred cows, which I think you'll really enjoy. But today, we're going to look at a story in the Bible, which I believe takes the notion of achieving victory in the midst of seeming defeat to a whole new level. This is a story of a band of special people made up of misfits and borderline criminals who were literally standing in the midst of a crushing, devastating defeat. Yet they somehow, way, turned that defeat into a resounding victory. Let's talk about David and his band of 400 men. I said David and his band of 400 men. If you read through the book of 1 Samuel, see that God removed the anointing that was on Saul, the first king of Israel, and He put the anointing on David. And he was designated to be the next king of Israel. Well, it wasn't too long after that that King Saul got jealous of King David and all of his successes. And so David had to flee for his life and live in exile, sometimes in the wilderness, and sometimes among the Philistines, his sworn enemies. But his very first hideout after he fled Israel was a place called the Cave of Adullam. If you would, turn with me in your devices or in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 22, and we're going to read verse 1 and 2. 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 and 2. And I'll be reading in the New King James Version. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented, that word means bitter of soul... Gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. So get the picture. Everyone who was distressed, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented, bitter of soul, flocked to David's side in the wilderness in the cave of Adullam. And there were about 400 in all, not counting the women and children. So every time I read this story, I can't help but think of Robin Hood and his band of merry men. Just like King David, Sir Robin of Locksley was a righteous man, stripped of his rightful title, and forced to live in exile, and who surrounded himself with a rough bunch of men who were fiercely loyal to him. I think it's a cool connection, especially since I just watched the 1938 Errol Flynn version, The Adventures of Robin Hood. You got to watch it. It's a classic. It is awesome. So I wanted you to get a feel for the kind of men that David attracted to his side in the cave of adulam not exactly the cream of the crop. Because while they lived in exile with David, think about this. They exposed themselves to the anointing that was on David. Thus, many of them were transformed into the mighty men of valor that we highlighted in last week's session. Amen. They went from being malcontents, bitter of soul, skirting the law to becoming mighty men of valor in just a few short years. Well, the 400 gradually grew to 600 and ended up living in a place called Ziklag. If you want to start talking in tongues, say that five times real quickly. You know, they were still in exile, but at least they were living in civilization now and not in a cave. So that brings me to one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, and I say that all the time because I have a lot of favorite stories in all the Bible, but this is one of my faves. If you would turn in your devices or in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30, we'll begin by reading 1 through 6, verse 1 through 6. In the King James Version, I tried to use some other versions, but the King James just says it so well in these first six verses. I had to go with it just for these first six verses. So 1 Samuel 30, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. I find it comical. What else would you burn it with? Well, first we burned it with fire, and then uh, sulfuric acid. I'm sorry, that was a comedic interlude there. That's the way my brain works. Verse 2 says, And they had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away, And went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. There it is again. (laughs) And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. This is serious. I better get serious here. Verse 4 says, Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. They cried, and they cried, and they cried, and they cried till they couldn't cry anymore. There was one time in my life when I did that. I cried so much, I couldn't even manufacture tears anymore. It was a long time ago Was a little boy, a traumatic event that I don't have time to go through, but I lived through it, amen. But I remember crying until I could not cry anymore. And this is the deep state of emotional pain that David And his men found themselves in in this story. And then verse 5 says, And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. Now why do you think they wept until they couldn't weep anymore? I mean beyond the obvious. It was their wives and children that were carried away captive. But beyond that, Can you see that the wives and the children to them represented their future? They were already living as outlaws in enemy territory with no hope of returning to their former lives in Israel. Now you add the fact that there was no longer a hope for a future generation who might live in peace and prosperity when David became king. And you have a scenario of utter despair, and hopelessness. You know, they didn't have Jeremiah 29, 11 to cling to because it wasn't written yet. As far as they were concerned, there was no hope. There was no expected end. There was no future. And I'm sure many of them were racked with guilt, even David perhaps, I'm speculating here, because they left the city of Ziklag undefended for three days while they went about raiding the countryside and taking spoil from the enemies of God. So it appears that this time the enemy staged a counterattack against David and his men and the city of Ziklag. And they were standing in the midst of seeming defeat, They were literally standing in the ashes of Ziklag in the midst of a crushing, soul-shattering defeat. Their city was burned and their women and children were gone. Verse 6 says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Did you hear that? But David somehow found the strength to encourage himself in the Lord. David was distressed and the people were so despondent, so bitter that they were even talking about stoning him because after all, he was their leader and like it or not, When the successes come, you credit the leader. When the failures come, you credit the leader. But even in the midst of all this agony, I find it so compelling that David found the strength to encourage himself in the Lord. What does encourage mean? It means to impart courage. To impart strength. You know, virtually every other translation of this passage that we just read says David strengthened himself in the Lord. So encouragement brings strength and courage. Amen? David encouraged himself in the Lord and it strengthened him and it brought comfort to his agonizing soul. So, what does it mean to you and me to encourage yourself in the Lord? How can we apply this to our lives? How can we do it when our nation seems to be in such peril? How can we do it when our personal circumstances seem to be so dire? Show of hands, how many people are facing things and it just seems impossible? That's a lot of hands out there. Well, there's only one place I know to go for the answer to what it means to encourage yourself in the Lord. And that would be the Bible. So let's talk about encouraging yourself in the Lord. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 42, verse 11. Psalm 42, verse 11. I'll be reading in the English Standard Version. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. That word there translated salvation is the word Yeshua. We could say it like this in our day and age. Why are you cast down, on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my Jesus and my God. Amen. So I think this is exactly what David was doing at Ziklag. I just know it by the Holy Spirit. He was encouraging himself in the Lord. He was speaking to his troubled soul. You know... The real crazy people are the people who don't speak to themselves. (laughs) Provided you're speaking the word of the Lord. Soul, be encouraged. Things may look bad. But I'm going to praise Him now because of what He has done. And because of what He's yet to do. I'm going to praise Him now because I've been in this kind of situation before and He delivered me back then and He will deliver me now. I'm going to declare victory even in the midst of seeming defeat. That's what it means to encourage yourself in the Lord. And you need to be doing it as often as possible. Sometimes when I'm feeling down, I'm driving around in my car by myself, I'll just spontaneously, I'll just say, you know, I've had enough of this heavy spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am more than a conqueror through Him that loved me. If God be for me, who in the world can be against me? A couple of minutes of that and you'll turn that heaviness right around. Anyways, pretty cool when you find out that this this phraseology that you know encapsulates what I call encouraging yourself in the Lord talking to your soul is found in Psalm 42:11, but it's also found in Psalm 42:5 and Psalm 43:5 verbatim almost, except for a few words. The exact same phraseology appears three times in a very short span in the Scriptures. And this is the Holy Spirit saying, I am emphasizing this. Pay attention. When you're feeling low, when you're feeling defeated, it's time to encourage yourself in the Lord. It was especially... Critical for David to do so because if he couldn't get up, the rest of the men weren't going to get up. He was going to have to set the example. I love my little grand girl. Sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in a situation where all hope seems lost and there seems to be no way out. And you're going to have to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord, in spite of what people say, and in spite of what the circumstances seem to say. Let's read another scripture that illustrates the same point. Psalm 103, verse 1 through 6. Psalm 103, verse 1 through 6. I'll be reading in the English Standard Version. This is a dynamite passage of Scripture. I have most of it committed to memory. I love this concept of talking to your soul. Talking to the man on the inside. I even had an incident back in the late 80s when I was studying up late One night and the spirit of the Lord fell on me and all of a sudden my head and my arms rested on the desk and I was put into a trance and I heard my human spirit speaking to my soul, encouraging him to stand on the word of God and follow the flow of the Holy Ghost. If we were going to be successful in what God had called us to do, it was one of the most amazing things I've ever experienced. I heard my My spirit man speaking in an audible voice. It was crazy. For the first 20 seconds, I thought, who is this guy? And then suddenly I realized, it's you. It's your spirit man. And I knew that my lips were not moving. Amen. So every time I read this passage, I think about that incident. Let's begin. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Call on everything that is in you to bless the Lord, even in the most ardent circumstances. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Remember His benefits. Remember all the things He's done for you all your life. Remember the times when He rescued you from impossible situations. He's done it many, many times. If you just take the time to remember, and if He did it then, He will do it again. Amen. How about this? Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. That's just a few of the benefits. Amen. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love. And mercy. Now he's blessing the Lord and reminding the Lord that he's the source of his salvation. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It is the Lord in me that is my salvation. I'm not going to the pit, which is the Old Testament way of saying hell. Hell. I'm not going to hell because Jesus is my Lord. He lives on the inside of me. Therefore, I say, bless the Lord I'm my soul. You're saved. You're sanctified. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. And you're going to spend eternity with Jesus. What in the world are you doing down there underneath the circumstances? That's one of my favorite lines. I ask people, how are you doing? A lot of times I'll catch them. they say, well, all right, under the circumstances. And I say, what in the world are you doing under there? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. No, I'm not going to the pit. He's crowned me with glory. He's crowned me with mercy. I'm going to be with Him when I leave this earth. Amen. If nothing else, be encouraged by that. Verse 5, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. You know, I decided when I entered my 50s that I was going to embrace the spirit of Caleb. Caleb was 85 years old, and he went to Joshua, and he said, 40 years ago, I wanted to conquer this mountain. Now I've waited 40 years for my turn to do it. I'm 85 now, but I'm still as strong as I was when I was in my 40s. Now therefore, give me my mountain. And an 85-year-old man led the charge up a mountain full of giants. And he conquered it. Took it back from the enemy. It became Hebron again, where all of the patriarchs are buried. Holy ground for Israel was recaptured by one brave old guy. Hallelujah. Amen. I say if Caleb can do it and he wasn't saved and filled with the spirit like I am, how much more should I be able to embrace the spirit of Caleb or the spirit of Moses or the spirit of Joshua and live long and strong on the earth? My spiritual father, former pastor, his wife used to say it like this. If you didn't know how old you were, how old would you be? I thought, that is a great way to think about it. Amen. Some of you are still working on that. It'll come. (laughs) Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now pray for me, Lord, help him get back on his notes. Verse 6 says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Bless the Lord. You're working righteousness in our nation, even though it doesn't look like it. You are leading this nation back to the paths of righteousness, truth, and justice. And I don't care what it looks like, so I'm going to bless the Lord. Things are going to turn around. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. His righteousness, His justice will prevail again in the United States of America. So now that we got all stirred up, let's read the rest of the story. As Paul Harvey used to say. 1 Samuel verse 30 Verse 7 through 19, New King James Version. 1 Samuel, verse 30, starting at verse 7. Just an awesome story. Then David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. A little explanation is in order here. The linen ephod was a priestly garment which had a breastplate attached to it. And in that breastplate were inlaid 12 precious gems that had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel engraved on them. And when seeking wisdom, they would lay the ephod down and ask the Lord a question. And it evidently was approved of the Lord as one of the ways to hear from the Lord because back then they didn't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. They were dependent on the prophets and the ephod to hear from the Lord. So it is believed that when they asked the question, the gems would light up in a certain sequence and would give an answer that would be like a yes or a no, go or no go, guilty or not guilty, those kind of things. Amen. So David calls for the ephod. In verse 8, it says, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Listen, they lost all, so they had to recover all. Amen? So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Bezor. Amen. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins, So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Wow, hungry man. Feed this man so we can get some information out of him. Sometimes God will lead you to a divine connection. Hear me out. Someone whose words or whose wisdom proves to be the key to helping you achieve victory in the midst of seeming defeat. Did you hear that? Sometimes God will bring a divine connection into your life and that person or the words that he gives you will be the key to overcoming whatever you're facing. And as we're going to see, this was the case with the young Egyptian man who they just, quote unquote, happened upon in the wilderness. Verse 13. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherithites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me Nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. That's a lot of fighting. Not a man of them escaped except 400 men who rode on camels and fled. (laughs) Not a man escaped except for 400. Listen, let me talk to you military terms here for just a second. If they killed a lot of them and there were still 400 left and there was only 400 men in David's force, he was very outnumbered when he started. If they killed a lot... And only 400 escaped. No telling how many the odds were against them to recover all. But they did nevertheless. Verse 18 says, So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And this is the awesome part. Listen to this. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything, which they had taken from them, David recovered all. I mean, everything happened exactly the way the Lord told David that it would happen. You will pursue and you will recover all. Amen. He pursued and found and defeated the Amalekites and everything that was lost was recovered Almost overnight. Amen. Are you ready for a suddenly like that in your life? Amen. I am. Praise the Lord. So let me wrap things up by asking you this question. It's a rhetorical question. That means I get to give you the answer. So what do you believe was the most significant action or event that turned the crushing defeat of Ziklag into an overwhelming victory. Now, many would say that finding the young man, the Egyptian in the wilderness, was the key to leaving, to leading David and his men to the camp of the Amalekites. And that would be true to an extent, and it was a deciding factor in turning things around for sure, but I would argue that the moment David began to encourage himself in the Lord, things began to turn around. Even in the midst of a crushing, hope-shattering defeat, even when his men considered stoning him, things began to turn to his favor. So what can we learn as individuals and as a nation as we stand in the midst of seeming defeat? Well, we can make up our minds that we're going to encourage ourselves in the Lord's nevertheless. We're going to encourage ourselves in the Lord nevertheless. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. God has brought me victory before, and He will bring me victory again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. God has delivered our nation before, and He will deliver our nation again. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part three of Dr. Forrest's message, Victory in the Midst of Seeming Defeat. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at GoFaithLife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.